Awesome. Hey, friends, welcome to uh, Pursuit. Thanks so much for being a part of our first ever 9.45 a.m. service here at 265 Pine Avenue. We're glad to have you uh, in the house of God. We know uh, that many of you are kind of formulating here to our new service schedule. Just starting today, we're going to four services. We're doing 8.30 9 45 uh, 11 a.m and 12 15 we got friends who are tuning in from around the nation as well on the live stream so a special greetings to those folks as well but thanks for being here as you know the lord put on our heart really to just try to make more room as god continues to send new families here to be a part of what god is doing in the northwest you know every sunday we've got people who are driving from really around the region and i know some of you live here right in town so it's a little bit of an easier commute in fact some of you could walk to church But we got a lot of folks who are driving from places like Bellingham, Tacoma, Seattle, Yakima, other places around the region to be a part of what God is doing here. And so we're just grateful and in awe of what God continues to do, not because of us, probably in spite of us, because he has a great sense of humor and he is still working well here in the Northwest. Something that I'm reminded of this morning that I will remind you of as well is that the Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Northwest and neither are we. And so we are here on assignment to do violence against the kingdom of darkness, and in doing so, see an inheritance of souls, people born into the kingdom of light. Uh, I was uh, uh, actually not supposed to be here this weekend. I was supposed to be in Florida about two months ago. I got invited uh, to an event with some other faith leaders and the former president at Mar-a-Lago in uh, Florida, and it just so happened that we were launching our four-service schedule uh, starting this Sunday, and so I didn't feel like I could miss this Sunday in particular, so I sent a, a board member uh, instead of uh, instead of me, but I got a phone call about two months ago from some friends who are connected in that world, and they said, hey, people have been watching these videos that you've been putting out, and we wanted to invite you to this event. These tickets are $50,000 a piece. We wanted to invite you free of charge. And I said, oh, great. Well, that's awesome. You know, put it on the calendar. And then, and then and, and, and it had to cancel anyways last minute. But one of our board members is there, and uh, he texted me late last night. And he said, he said, Pastor Russell, he said, every room that I walk into, I meet somebody who knows about what God is doing at and through the pursuit. And so the eyes of the nation are on the Northwest, and uh, people are tuning in to really see this move of God here. So thank you for being a part of it and uh, continuing to invite and help build uh, the house of God. This morning, obviously the first Sunday here uh, in the month of December, Christmas season, I'm preaching kind of a Christmas-themed sermon, but probably one that you've never heard like this before. The title of my sermon today is this, "'Tis the season to cast out demons." "'Tis the season to cast out demons." Yeah, this morning our primary text is gonna be the Gospel of Mark in chapter five. The Gospel of Mark and chapter 5. Hey, it's something I just wanted to remind you of real briefly. Tomorrow night is our last pursuit night for the year. We're going to meet here at 6 p.m. We provide food and child care and all sorts of things. 6 to 7.30, wanted to invite you out. Going to be an incredible time of community here in the house of God. Of course, this Friday coming up is our special Ethos women's event here at Pursuit, followed by men's breakfast this Saturday. we got a full week, a full schedule. Want you just to be a part of what God is doing here in this community. Here's my conviction. Nobody should have to face the Christmas season in isolation. 
You were not created to be alone. You were created to be in community. Out of all the things in the book of Genesis, God says everything is good except for one thing, for man to be alone. The Bible says this of the Lord, that he sits the orphan at his table, that he shares his home with the widow, that a bruised reed he will not break, that God is in the business of gathering people unto himself and in doing so, sharing his table with the outsider. And for you and, and, and for me, some of, some, some, some of you might be here this morning and, and saying, well, pastor, I don't really have a natural family that I would celebrate with in the Christmas season, but here's the good news. You've been invited into the fastest growing spiritual family that has ever existed on the face of the earth, the kingdom of God. And there's room for you at the table. There's a name for you at the table. And you're invited to be a part of this thing. So resist the temptation to isolate in this season and instead be a part of what God is doing here in this region. In Mark 5, Jesus has an interaction. Some of you might be familiar with it. Others of you are not. But I wanted to read to you from this primary text this morning, starting in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says this. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when Christ had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And let me stop there and just make a few observations for you today, friend. Jesus didn't come looking for trouble. Trouble found him. Because everywhere he walked, something about what he carried made demonic entities shake. And you need to know this morning, just by virtue of the Spirit of God taking residence in your life, when you woke up this morning, you gave a full-blown panic attack to the enemies of darkness here in the Northwest. Because everywhere the sole of your foot treads, God has given you the land. Where you go, he goes. He even makes a table for you in front of your enemies. And nothing makes your enemies more upset than when you're sitting at a table. And this is the God that we serve. I noticed this in particular about two and a half years ago when we bought this building and undertook at that time the largest remodel project we had ever done as a church. This thing looked like a J.C. Penney. It smelled like a J.C. Penney. It felt like a J.C. Penney. And what it was not prepared to be was a church. And we bought it in faith after getting turned down by 26 different banks. We finally found a lender who would work with us. We bought it in faith. And for the last two and a half years, God has been faithful to fill it up even now to overflowing. But I remember in the early days when we bought this and we'd be having all night work parties and people are sweeping floors and painting walls and just trying to get it ready. Now you came in this morning to a nicely decorated church with all the outlets working and the lights and the LED screens, but it was not so two and a half years ago. We had one outlet, one extension cord, half the power would go out during service. I mean, it just was barely a functional facility. And it was so interesting to me that I'd be here late nights working and, 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 and every so often, this happened probably once or twice a week, there'd be folks who would be driving around the church or crazy folks banging on the doors or banging on the windows. People would just come out of the woodwork to curse the building, to curse the property. And we didn't announce that we were ghostbusters. We didn't announce that we were casting out demons. There wasn't a conference we were announcing. There was no, we weren't inviting it. But there's something spiritual that happens when you go from being a renter to being an owner. Something transitions in the region when you say, no, we're putting down a stake here. We're not threatened. We're not embarrassed. We're not running away. In fact, we were built for this. It sends out a signal to unseen places. And all of a sudden, the demoniacs came to him. 
And I want you to know that when you walk in a spiritual authority, you don't have to go looking for trouble. But when trouble finds you, you don't need to be rattled because peace is not just what you have. It's who walks with you, the Prince of Peace, the one who sits upon the throne of your heart. Don't turn who he is just into an object that you use when you get into trouble. Jesus doesn't just have peace. He is peace. Jesus doesn't just have truth. He is truth. Jesus doesn't just have life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. No, these are things that you carry with you residentially because it's who you are, because it's who He is. And if you are identified with Him in death, how much more are you now identified with Him in resurrection? In verse 3, the Bible says this of this man, that he had made his dwelling watch amongst the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Hear me, friend, his exterior matched his interior. He made his dwelling amongst the tombs because the tombs best identified the spiritual state that he was in. Hear me, every person in this room will have a graveyard season. But only you get to decide where you make your dwelling. Your past is a place of reference, but it's not a place of residence. Isaiah the prophet says this to the nation of Israel. After they've been taken into Babylonian captivity, their temples overrun, their families destroyed, their lineage wiped out. God raises up a prophet and he declares this in Isaiah 61. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours for everything that the enemy took from you God will repay twofold for every year that he stole from you in sin he will give it back to you in blessing this is the God that we serve not just the one who makes you right but who makes everything you went through make sense it catches you up to God's inheritance it catches you up to God's blessing and this is the God that that we serve and isn't it interesting that only Christ offers this type of grace and redemption? It's literally the opposite of our cultural system. The culture says cancel, Christ says restore. The culture says expose, Christ says cover. The culture says embarrass, Christ says redeem. Both cultural systems and religious systems are great at pointing out people's failures but they just fail horribly in helping people discover who they were always meant to be. And that's where Jesus steps into your story. How many times do we attempt to cure our interior struggle with our exterior structure? If I could just get these chains to work. If I could just get these medicines to work. If I could just get these counselors to work. If I could just get this accountability to work. If I could just get somebody else to babysit my spiritual development. If I could just get these chains to work. The problem isn't with your enforcement mechanism. It's with the regeneration of your spirit, friend. You must be born again. The gospel is not sinless. It is you must be born again. Friend, the law is death, but the spirit is life. And you got to hear me today. The opposite of your addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. Hear me. One of the ways this understanding of addiction evolved was from a famous study in the 1980s of rats in a cage. 
Given the choice between water laced with drugs or pure water, most often the rats chose the drugs. They eventually became addicted, consuming the drugs repeatedly until they died. Dr. Alexander, a professor of psychology from Vancouver, made this observation. The rats resorted to the drugs because they were all alone in the cage with no stimulation. So what he did is he put the rats in cages with other rats and he gave them toys and tunnels and food and he noted that the rats in a social situation react very differently. Although some of them tried the water with the drugs, none of them became addicted and none of them died. You need to know that spiritual community is your best defense against darkness and bondage in this hour. For the opposite of your addiction is not sobriety, it's community. Because one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts ten thousand. And all of a sudden, what happens is you get into a community of people who might be strong in an area of personal weakness in your life, and your story is encouraged, and your narrative is redeemed, and your mind is renewed, and all of a sudden you catch up with the spiritual energy of people who are around you pointed in the same direction of Jesus Christ. Man, if God did it for them, He can do it for me. You know how I'm going to stay sober one day at a time. You know how I'm going to stay sober one connection at a time. You know how I'm going to stay sober one community at a time. I'm going to do this thing together because I wasn't created to live alone. In verse 4, the Bible says this, Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Hear me, hear me. There is nothing the enemy hates more than an image bearer of God. Because every time the enemy sees you, it reminds him of what he will never have again, relationship with the Almighty. Every time there is self-harm, there is an opportunity for the enemy to take advantage. Friend, Christ has become your punishment. Christ has become your curse. Christ has become your sin. And in doing so, remove the need to punish yourself. See, some of you have regeneration in your spirit, but poison in your mind. You're still trying to poison yourself for the past mistakes that you've made. Punish yourself for the past mistakes that you've walked through. And I'm here to let you know today that God is severing your bondage with the need to self-harm because you are not what you've done. You are what Christ says you are. See, we have this interior anthropological need to punish when things go wrong. But Christ didn't just pay our debt, he became our debt. And in doing so, we have become the righteousness of God, which is rooted in Christ Jesus. And today you can take your rightful position in this church and in the kingdom of God knowing that Christ has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. In verse 6, the Bible says this, when he saw Jesus from afar, watch, he ran and he worshiped. He cried out with a loud voice and he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. I think these verses are so interesting because it best describes where we're at as a culture and as a generation. We are fascinated with the idea of worshiping Jesus, but we hate his words. Meaning this, worship is the easy part. Submission to his lordship where you crucify your flesh and are raised unto new life is where the rubber meets the road. I love to worship. Man, it's so easy for me, especially here in this environment, just to get into worship. I love it. 
be having a rough day or a tough time. And even the Bible says of, of Saul, when the musicians played, his spirit was changed. Now, worship is key. It's so important. But what I've found oftentimes with working with people is that there's artificial separation between worship of God and submission to God. And can I tell you, friends, submission is the highest form of worship. God, not my way, but yours. God, not my kingdom, but yours. God, not my prerogative, but yours. God, not my wisdom or way, but your wisdom and your way. The man finds himself intrinsically drawn to Jesus, but the Bible tells us in James 2 that even the demons believe and they tremble. Spirit recognizes spirit. And even the demoniac finds himself on his knees. And in verse 8, the Bible says this, For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And the man responded, My name is Legion, for we are many. When Jesus was asking the man what his name was, in Hebrew culture, what Jesus was referring to is, What is your nature? The man responds using a Roman term, legion, which referred to a unit of 6,000 Roman soldiers. We don't know if there were 6,000 demons in this man, but we know they were many. If I could reinterpret that verse in our culture today, it would sound like this. What is your name? My name is confusion and my pronouns are many. What is your name? My name is abandonment and my partners are many. What is your name? My name is addiction and my vices are many. What is your name? My name is infirmity and my diagnoses are many. Timothy Keller makes this observation of both the ancient Roman Empire and also the modern West. In ancient Rome, the language of culture was this. You Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all deities. But in the modern West, the language of culture is this. You Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all identities. Hear me, friend. I can honor who you are. And I can honor the journey of faith that you are walking on. I can honor the progress you are making. But I refuse to celebrate what Scripture calls sin. The world has made the church afraid to address anything controversial, lest we offend those who are living amongst the two. But it is not compassionate to look upon somebody's chains and call it a lifestyle choice. It is not compassionate to look upon somebody's delusion and call it an identity. I am not looking to be celebrated by culture. I am here to plunder hell and populate heaven. See, friend, there's a difference between a struggle and an identity. Our culture says your struggle is your identity. But the cross says your struggle is part of your story, but a child of God is who you are. Watch what the Bible says I am. In Galatians 3, it says I'm redeemed from the curse. In Galatians 4, I'm no longer a slave. In Hebrews 10, I'm set apart. In Ephesians 1, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Isaiah 43, I'm precious in the eyes of God. In Romans 8, I'm an heir of God, ambassador of Christ, God's special possession, citizen of heaven. John 15, a friend of God, a new creation in Christ. Psalms 139, fear fearfully and wonderfully made, justified by grace, set free from sin, made alive in Christ, more than a conqueror, the righteousness of God. I'm not what I've done. I'm what the book says I am. Yeah. 
Watch what happens. The man begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Because the demons weren't only interested in holding a man back, they were interested in holding a region back. They begged him, do not send us out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Hear me very clearly. You can't disciple it. You can't babysit it. You can't date it. You can't argue with it. You can't develop it, counsel it, encourage it. But at the name of Jesus, you can tell it to leave, and it has to go. I want you to see something this morning. Demons don't even take a breath without permission because they don't have authority unless it's delegated. That's why you ought to come out of agreement with darkness because it's your permission that gives that thing an ability to torment you. I think sometimes we have our theology on spiritual things actually more developed by the movies and culture and Hollywood than we do the Word of God. Some Christians live their entire life with a spirit of fear walking around feeling like I'm just going to be on the street one day and get randomly demonized, start foaming at the mouth. That's not how any of this works. No, you give permission through doors that should have been closed that have stayed open because the enemy has a foothold. And you don't need 17 weeks of sozo to deal with it. You just got to make a decision today. I'm coming out of dysfunction and into the kingdom of light. Jesus isn't debating with darkness. He's destroying it. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to dismantle the works of darkness. He is dismantling every dark work that has objected to the destiny God has placed on your life. He is dismantling every argument that the enemy has raised to keep you disqualified from your destiny. This is the work that Jesus does. Friend, we don't live in fear, we walk in faith. Watch what David says in Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will Will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make high, make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near you. You will tread on the lion and the cobra because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him. He will call on me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my my salvation. Well, oh, that's the type of believer you are. I want you to see something this morning, friend. Christ has both the power to save people and destroy demons. When he sends the demons into the swine, scripture says about 2,000 of them run right off a cliff. Why? Because the spirit of suicide and the spirit of religion are often the same. They're both trying to kill the thing that God loves. He permitted them to enter the swine. 
And in doing so, they ran off a cliff and killed themselves. The demons wanted to stay in the region, but upon death, Scripture says they would return to the arid place. Hear me, friend. Jesus didn't just deliver a man. He freed a region from a stronghold that had held the gospel back. You may not think it's a big deal when one person gets saved or healed or delivered, but I can promise you this. Every time the enemy loses his grip on a person, the sound of freedom echoes in this region. And that's why all of heaven celebrates when just one person comes back home. Oh, when one person out of this community finds freedom and wholeness in Jesus' name, it echoes in spiritual places. Jesus saw a man, but behind a man, he saw a region. And this shows the value of stopping for the one. Because you never know how many other ones that one represents. Jesus takes time for the person who had been marginalized from society. They didn't know what to do with him, so they stuck him amongst the tombs. He was naked. He was bleeding. He was cussing. He was yelling. He was swearing. But Christ looked through the distraction and saw a person who was in need of the master's touch. Can I just encourage you this morning? Don't allow somebody's rough exterior to distract you from the covered up treasure that is inside of them as an image bearer of God. It doesn't take faith to point out problems. It doesn't take faith to know that a man who lives amongst the graveyards is demonized. It doesn't take faith to look at a problem. It takes faith in the midst of a problem to see God working a solution by his spirit. And when I look at the Northwest, I want to use my faith to believe that even though on the news they say the region is dying, by God's spirit, it will live again. Even when other people are negative about what the church is doing, God, by his spirit, is building an unstoppable kingdom. No, we are the people of faith who look through the distraction of darkness and see God's destiny. Jesus wasn't rattled. Jesus didn't write a dissertation on how difficult it was to cast out demons. At one word, they left. What is your nature? There's so many tormented day and night and like the prophets of Baal, I just cry louder, but nobody listens. And, and Jesus says, go, and the man finds freedom. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and they saw the one, watch, who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. We live in a world that calls evil good, good evil, and is actually afraid when people get restored and returned to their right mind. It's so backwards. This man been shrieking in the graveyard for years, and now you're afraid because he's clothed in his right mind? I want you to see something. Not only does Jesus restore his spirit, here's what I love. Jesus restores his dignity. Why? Because for shame, he'll give you double honor. So you know your wounds are a part of your testimony but they no longer have the power to embarrass you because in your weakness, his strength was made strong. Oh yeah, it's part of my journey. Yeah, it's part of my testimony. No, I fell seven times, but a righteous man got back up. No, I've been in darkness. No, I've been in the miry clay, but God lifted me up. No, I know there were some things said and some things done, and I know you could probably find some stuff on the internet. No, I know that I had a past life, but it pales in comparison to what God by his spirit is doing in my present life. 
He didn't just say, congratulations, you've been born again. He was clothed and in his right mind. And friend, when God breaks shame off of your life, what he does is restore dignity. Because dignity causes you to walk in boldness and authority. Well, I've got a dignity. Now watch. And those who saw it told him how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit it, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Friend, we are a room filled today of had been people whose had been stories now have this one thing in common. We have been set free by Jesus. <laughs> And as a pastor and as a friend, that's what I'm asking of you. Go home and tell your family about what Jesus has done in your life. You know what I love about this Christmas season? For so many families, this Christmas will be different than any Christmas they've had in the last 20 or 30 years. Because family members who haven't talked in the last three decades are being reconciled. Because people who used to show up addicted in bondage are now coming to family dinner free and in their right mind. Families that have been destroyed by abuse are now coming back in forgiveness and reconciliation. This is going to be a Christmas to remember because when God does something in a person, He does it in their family, He does it in their region because the kingdom of darkness is losing its grip. This is the Jesus we serve and that's why tis the season to cast out demons. Come on, would you stay with me as we close this morning?